Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. Uh, let's get to it. We are back in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11 uh, into chapter 12 this week. So it's 11:7 through 12:8, uh, a, a decently lengthy text. Um, But let's go ahead and read that. It says this. Uh, Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for your youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Verse 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and the one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and the desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bow is, bow is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. This is uh, the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would draw near to us. Uh, Lord, as we try to finish well in this text and see your words and hear and heed your words, Lord, may our ears be open. Holy Spirit, would you come? And speak to us. All of our words, all of our time, all of my words are meaningless unless you come uh, and let us see the sun and let us uh, receive faith uh, and just mold our hearts. So we ask you, come and do your work. Uh, Come and give us rejoicing. Come and and give us conviction where needed, but come and work in our hearts through this text. We pray that in your name, God. Be glorified. Amen. So on New Year's Day, right, the day of hope, newness, freshness, motivation, new beginnings. I played full court basketball, five on five style for over two hours. Full court basketball over two hours. If you've ever watched a basketball game, uh, you watch uh, men or, or women go back and forth on a court and in literally about 90 seconds, they look like they've been thrown into a pool. Why? Because all they do is run. And if you've seen my basketball game, you'll know that I am not the greatest shot in the world. Uh, I'm not going to airball by three feet, but I am what you would call Brick City. 99 out of 100 are not going in. Uh, So this means I do my best to play my version of Husky Boy defense, and I'll grab a couple of rebounds somewhere along the, the, the way, but that's about it, aka all I do is run without the enjoyment of scoring a point. Like, it's awesome. Two hours of running. That was my New Year's Day. Two hours, 12,000 steps. Why? Why would you do that? 
Well, Blake loves basketball, and I love Blake, so uh, we went and we played basketball. Fast forward to the moment that I walked into my house uh, through the garage, headed straight for the medicine cabinet with tight calves and sore and tired everything. I went to grab um, adult candy, ibuprofen, and that's when it happened. My wife looked at me, and she laughed. Like savagely, she laughed, and she said as she looked in my eyes, you are old. <laughs> like not in a funny ha-ha way, not like, babe, did you have fun? How was Blake's birthday? Did you enjoy it? Just this like cold shot to the heart, you are old. <laughs> Just sit there and understand what happened, it hurts. Then back up a, a little bit before that, I hurt my knee in August uh, and it was still not okay in December, so I had an MRI to get it looked at and kind of see, okay, what's going on here, get a prognosis. And, and there, when I went into the specialist after the MRI, I got some pretty good news accompanied with more savagery. Uh, the good news is my meniscus was fine, it's stable, no surgery, that's all good. But the shot to the heart came when the doctor said, well, you know, when you get older, it's like awesome. He said, you don't have the same elastin in your muscles as you used to. And sometimes you can strain or rip or hurt yourself doing things that used to be fine. So when you did that front squat, your quad tried to pull away from your knee and, and, you know, it's because you're getting old. And when you get old, you have less elastin if you didn't get it because you're getting old. I'm like, I, I get it. I'm, I'm getting old. If you understand, there's been a couple things that have happened over the last year that I've had to dance with since being 40, the reality of aging and getting older age and the concept of aging are realities that don't just sneak up on me. They're going to get you to, whether you think they will or not, or you're like, hey, I'm already there. They're, they're chasing me down. They come after us uh, over and over and over. And, and these realities of aging are something that our culture is not low-key, but just blatantly uh, a little bit obsessed with. Look at our movies and the way that they try and ignore age in film. Many of our leading men, the ones that I grew up watching, they're getting older. Meanwhile, as you look, their female counterparts are not getting older. So you have Denzel Washington, who's 60 years old, and, and his counterpart is still in her 30s. Like, I think that might be almost illegal, but it feels wrong. And then you have maybe like Harrison Ford, who's old, old. Like, I, I don't know how old, but old, old. And, and even his, his lady counterparts are at least 20 or 30 years younger. And then maybe if you want another one, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who is uh, in his 50s. He hides it because he does boatloads of steroids. His girlfriends are still in like below 30. We do it all the time. Why do we do this? Well, you can make your case it's tied to sex appeal and all that, but it's a denial of the reality of aging. We will do everything we can to pretend that we're not aging or act like we're not or hide it or divert your gaze as much as we can. Then look at maybe culture more widely and some of the patterns that emerge. In many cultures around the world, age is prized. It's actually a sign of, of honor and respect as you get older. Uh, people are revered in their age because there's a wisdom that comes with that. But in our age, age is really denied and run from at all costs and at quite high costs. There are uh, literally billions of dollars spent on Botox and plastic surgery every year, to which Dolly Parton says it costs a fortune to look this cheap. We do everything we can to pretend that we're not aging or run from it. 
Even if we don't spend money on maybe the cosmetic enhancements, as they call it, we do other things, don't we? You uh, ever use a photo filter? Edit the, the skin? Let's smooth the, the lines. Let's, let, let's kind of make that wrinkle less noticeable. Or, or maybe you do this, like get my good side, and you like suck in the belly. I'm good at that. And you're like, hey, get my good side. And it's all in the name of, of looking a little bit better. But then you look, look underneath of it, like I think better actually means I want to look a little bit younger. We attempt medicines and diets and workouts and creams and cleanses and, and detoxes and, and stretches. And now all of a sudden we drink these green drinks and there's advertisements for it everywhere. All of it is, is just pretending that I can fight getting older if I do a couple of things. We're trying to outrun age. Nobody has done it successfully, though. I recently heard my grandmother talk over the holidays uh, about the fact that she had stopped dyeing her hair. And she lamented the, ma- the way that it made her look because she has, like, there is no color left. Like, it is white as snow hair. And she tried to cover it well into her 80s. And at the moment that she removed the, the covering, it was really hard for her because, in her words, I look so old. My grandma, I love you. You are old. (laughs) I love you, but you are. What's the point? Aging is hard. It's really, really, really hard. When we're younger, we ignore the reality of aging altogether. If you're sitting here and be like, it's not hard for me, it's because you're not paying attention to it yet. Often we do that because we think that there's an endless supply of days that we still have. It's the idea that most of my life, the lion's share of my life is, is still to, to come. It's on the trajectory moving forward. I got a ton of life coming. So if I make a mistake, I got time to recover. If I'm in a rough season, I got time for a good season. And if I haven't reached my goals or what I want in life, it's fine because I got a ton of time to do it. Then we get a bit older and things change. We don't have most of our life ahead of us anymore. We have part or half of our life ahead of us. And this kind of emotional gut punch happens as all of a sudden we go, oh, my runway shortened. I don't don't have as much time. And we begin to feel this pressure that we didn't before of I have less times to fix things and, and less time to be happy and less time to become something and less time to get to that place that I wanted to, to go. And you fast forward and you get a little bit older again, and, and now you have some-ish life ahead of you. The window is closing. You feel like you're on a clock, anxious that life isn't really what you expected it uh, to be, and there isn't enough time to really do anything about it. And, and finally, we get even older, and we have no time guaranteed ahead of us. Right? Maybe we're on borrowed time. It's, I guess, the feeling of like when the E-light goes off in the car, and you're like, let's see how long this thing runs. I don't think I have a whole lot longer left. Often, we have a hard time aging because it reminds us of the reality that we don't want to look at, the one that Solomon has tried to put in front of us a lot, the reality of death. It's an unwelcomed illumination of the fact that you and I are mortals. You and I are all mortals. And yet no matter what we do to, to exert energy or try and be healthy or, or certain diets or certain things or certain workouts, we cannot get out from the, 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 the reality that you and I are aging and we're all on one path. Daniel Aiken puts it this way. We get about 100 years max. Max, that's it. So each year we live begins to add up and we begin to realize that each year you live, you know that you're closer to dying because that's what we do. 
This is what the preacher enters into the, to the text to speak about, how we are getting older, but he wants to give us this advice. How do you age well? How do you live life not terrified of death? What do you do? We gave one last week and figured, hey, let's make it two weeks in a row. Let's give a big idea. You can enjoy life in the face of aging and death if you turn to God through Jesus. It's a simple thing that Solomon wants to tell you. It's a major thing, but it's a simple thing. You can enjoy life in the face of aging, not because you got out of it, in the face of aging and death if you turn to God through Jesus. Maybe another way to say it is aging is meaningless without Jesus. He's offering you a a way that your aging won't actually be meaningless. You don't have to turn to to fatalism or unrestrained living if Christ begins to to anchor your life. The incoming waves don't crush you because you feel like the door is shutting in your face. So though it's been five weeks since we've been in Ecclesiastes, we are back for just this week and and one more. If I would have planned maybe a little bit better, maybe we could have ended and hit Advent, but you know me, I don't do that. So we're close, two away. Um, We still want to finish the series well, though. The author of Ecclesiastes, he's been what maybe we would say is brutally honest. Solomon is at the end of his life. Like the, the, the clock is running for him. He doesn't have a whole lot of time left and he has chased in his life all of the things. He has chased money and possessions and sex and wisdom and he has run uh, each category of idolatry really to, to as far as it can possibly be taken And like a sage or a grandfather or a friend, he sits back and he goes, none of it worked. And it will not soothe your soul and it will not fix what you need. Do not do it. It will not give you what you want. His point has been, in the words we've used for months now, trying to find happiness or fulfillment or joy or peace without God is like chasing the wind. It's like running after vapor. It'll ultimately be frustrating for you because over and over as you reach for certain things to to kind of ground you and make life okay, as soon as you think you get there, they're going to slip between your fingers. It's like chasing the wind. The other writer has been kind of brutally honest with us at times in the book, forcing us to wrestle with things that that maybe we would like to to forget or ignore. In this text, he actually uh, offers some encouragement in, in part, even though he had a kind of long run on sentence rant about death, what he's going to call us to are four different things. He wants to call us to rejoice twice, we'll see it in the text, to remove and to remember. This is what we're gonna see. Rejoice, remove, remember. Solomon has been telling us all along that if this life is it, that's it. If you get put back into the dirt and there's nothing else and there never was anything else, then death really renders every action or everything you ever do in your life absolutely meaningless. Yet Solomon has actually told us in the book, though, that the fleeting nature of life, the reality that you die, should actually cause us to have the ability to enjoy life because we realize in the short span, the things that we get are actually gifts. It's not meaningless because we don't die, and the good stuff that we have is a gift. So enjoy the gifts from your good father. His point has been, Since this isn't all there really is, you don't have to put all your hope into crushing this life. The pressure is off. The anxiety can be cast aside. You don't have to try and squeeze more out of this life than it was ever meant to to give you. If there's anything that I hope that Ecclesiastes has taught you, I hope it's that. 
You don't have to try and get more. You can lean into the Father and all the things you've been looking for are going to be there. It doesn't mean you get everything you've ever wanted. It ends up being the surprise, Jesus is actually what I wanted and I didn't realize it. He's trying to give you this gift. Hey, you can slow down because Jesus is what you've needed all the time. And here's the key. If you slow down, you can actually enjoy some stuff. That's going to be his point. That's what this text says in the beginning. He says, light is sweet and pleasant to the eyes. So as you live many years, don't panic as if you're about to suffocate. Instead, rejoice. Enjoy the light. Enjoy the gift. Enjoy the beauty that is in front of you. And this isn't meant to be like ethereal or, or poetic, like, oh, yeah, enjoy the, the light. No, he's, he, he literally means the light. In the Midwest, we don't have big mountains. That's why I try and go to Colorado. And we don't have oceans. That's why Garrett goes to, you know, Florida. But what do we have? We have some pretty amazing sunrises and sunsets almost every day. They're pretty beautiful. And I, I spent a lot of time hunting this last year and, and going into the woods. Maybe you'd call it less hunting and more sitting in a tree because I didn't bring home a lot. But I spent a lot of time out in the woods, and what I would do is I actually, in the time change, I kind of shifted my schedule to where I was getting up at 4.30 or 5, kind of all the time. I'd either read or get in the woods, so I spent a whole lot of time in the woods way before the sun had ever come up. So I am walking in with a headlamp, trying not to kill myself, up high in a tree, in the pitch black, waiting for the sun to come over the horizon. And each time that I did that, I got to see what is called the golden hour. Uh, if you enjoy photography, maybe you understand what that is, but there's 30 minutes around sunrise and 30 minutes around sunset where the sun is just amazing and everything looks amazing. And here's kind of the deal. The sun is high enough so you can see, but not so high that everything is kind of harsh. So everything looks as if it's like glowing in warm, surreal light. It's like nature's own HDR content for you. It's amazing to be able to see. Solomon is actually pointing to this type of thing in the text saying, hey, enjoy that. That is a beautiful, amazing, good gift. God, God painted that out so you can go and enjoy that. Why are you chasing wind and ignoring that? Look at the pleasant thing that he made and set you in the middle of. What he's trying to get at is if we are so busy chasing the wind or so distracted in our need to chase the wind, chasing power and pleasure and possessions and knowledge, just chasing all of that stuff that we won't actually have either time or the mental margin to enjoy even the things like the light that God has put around us. Why? Because we'll be fixated on aging and our life slipping away. We'll stop rejoicing because really panic and anxiety will choke out the capacity to be able to enjoy things. And this is not what God wants from you or in your life. He doesn't want that. So Solomon puts, says, put into practice the discipline of rejoicing. Have you heard that before? I want you to understand that you need to slow down to discipline yourself to rejoice. I don't want to. It's actually better for you. I want to give you the discipline of rejoicing. Slow down, enjoy, marvel, recapture what we call awe. Does anything give you awe? It should. Now, this isn't the preacher kind of going, blue skies, everything's perfect, just rejoice, everything's going to be great. He actually holds into tension uh, really tightly this understanding when he says, hey, there's going to be a ton of darkness around, a ton of it. There's enough bad stuff. There's enough bad and dark and suffering and difficulty all around you in the world. Don't compound its effects by missing the, the light and the beauty that Jesus put around you. There's always going to be dark. Be careful. 
I think he's trying to tell us we're suffocated by chasing other things. He's going, hey, there's this beautiful thing that I've given you that's like a drink of fresh water to your parched soul, and you're too busy looking around at other things to see it. Will you just, can you slow down with me? In verse 9, we get another call to rejoice. It's two calls in a row to rejoice in the Old Testament. Do you ever think you find that? We can tend to think that God is angry in the Old Testament, that it's full of doom and gloom. Maybe your, your background is God is so angry and then Jesus is the nice one. No, no, no. This is Old Testament theology twice rejoice in a row. Stands in direct conflict with the idea that God is just angry and wants to take joy from you. And the author wants to make it clear part of pleasing God is enjoying what he's given you now. It's I've given you this good thing. I want you to enjoy it. That's actually a part of pleasing him, that you'll take pleasure in what he's put you in the middle of. So the text says here, rejoice in your youth. What's it saying? Have fun and enjoy now. While the older person may be worried about age or death, the younger person has this proclivity of being stuck in this kind of Eeyore, woe is me, I've got to wait till I get to drive and wait till I get independence and wait till I get out of the house and wait till I get a, a job or wait till I get a better job or wait till I get a house or a little respect or a leg up or a certain amount of money to where I can do some fun things. You're just always going like, maybe then or maybe when this happens or maybe when that happens, I can be happy. The older person believes that maybe the good days are gone and they don't enjoy life because maybe they think everything good is behind them. The younger person believes that life hasn't really started, so they can't enjoy it yet. And Solomon says, hey, both of you have to stop. I want you, where you're at, to stop doing that. Stop worrying and waiting to start rejoicing. Rejoice now. He says this curious thing, stop holding back your heart. It gives this, this, this uh, idea or this picture of a, of a dam holding back water, this holding back this mighty powerful thing. Hey, there, there, there's joy that you're just restraining and you shouldn't. Walk in the ways of your heart and the side of your eyes is the call to live. So here's the thing. When you are young, you have, in general, fewer responsibilities and a whole lot of energy. That is your reality. Solomon's message to you is go use it, spend it well, take risks, be spontaneous. Why don't you go ahead and start dying by living? Stop waiting for life to, to start and enjoy the cool stuff that's available to you right now. The, the author is still holding in tension the necessary things all of a sudden by adding this caveat to the mix. He says, go for it, have fun, pour out your energy have a, an adventure, reach while you have the capacity for it, just know that God will still bring everything into judgment. Maybe that seems a little bit like a, a curveball, like rejoice, rejoice, judgment. He, he's trying to give guardrails for our protection in the middle of our call to rejoice. There are two major proclivities in the heart of men and women. The first is just to send it for an enjoyment and gratification. Full send, life untethered, FOMO fueled, chase everything, nothing is off limits, all gas, no rules, no discipline, just, just get it. This is an out of control, God rejecting, often sin fueled life. I'm all in on gratification. The other is to be a person who has no fun and no rejoicing and no smile. 
maybe because they're too serious about chasing their wind, or maybe they have this thing ingrained into them that if they're having fun, God's angry because they're not working hard enough. Solomon cuts both of these down and offers us an instead, a, a call to, to what we can think of as freedom with responsibility. Those are the tensions. That's how they're held in balance. You have freedom to enjoy and delight and have fun and cheer while you have the responsibility to not lose your mind while you do it. Right? Go and enjoy and delight. How do I not lose my mind? Keep your father in view as you're doing your delighting. Do not untether your delight from your good father who's given you good gifts. See that it's from his hand. Right? We, we miss things, right? The, when we think we have all of these days and all of these things, the, the, the breath that you have, it's a gift. The days that you have, it's a gift. The family that you have, it's a gift. All the things that you have are a gift. Keep your father in view so that you see his hand extended to giving you good gifts. Go, have fun, but don't lose sight of him while you do it. See, when a person only chases fun and delight, they simultaneously become selfish, self-centered people. And maybe we all like think of somebody automatically when that happens. Maybe we should begin to think of a season where it happened to us. When we only want to, man, I just need to have fun all the way off. I, I, just, I, just, I, I just need to have a little bit of fun. We ignore others. We don't have time for love or compassion or patience or kindness to the hurting. Why? Because those are barriers to my fun. They don't add to it. This text offers us a reminder. Hey, don't be like that. Enjoy life properly, rejoice properly by not losing sight of your father and understanding that there are other things necessary besides just the rejoicing, but I want you to rejoice. Verse 10, though it's a little difficult maybe to render in our language, it, it, it's really simple what he's saying. Remove the vexation from your heart. Vexation is maybe the fear or the displeasure or the anxiety, or the worry. If you're younger and you fear getting older, or maybe you still wish you were younger, but you still fear getting older, and it's stressing you out, he's saying you need to fight to remove that fear and that worry and that anxiety. It's not okay. It's not normal. It's actually a faith issue. Fight it. Okay, what does that mean in, in the real life? If, if you see a wrinkle and it jacks with your mind, that's this. Allie cut my hair the other day and I stood in front of a mirror and I'm like, babe, I think you got this uneven and more tender than the your old comment. She was like, yeah, that's not uneven. That's a patch of gray you didn't notice. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Like, if gray hair bothers you big time. Here, I'm trying to hide it in, in humor so that we can like, not the hair. Like, I'm just like, I'm gonna let it go. I'm trying to hide some of these things in humor, but friends, these are serious. If your body isn't as tight and tall as it once was, if your energy level started going down, if there are effects of age that are just disturbing you and vexing your heart, Solomon says, remove them. Not like, hey, maybe you should remove them. Get them out. Here's the truth. In life, you get old. You spend your years, you pour them out, and then you die. Like, that's so negative. That's reality for everyone. Age isn't the enemy of life, it's a part of living. We get wrinkles. 
we lose energy. Some of us lose our hair color and some of us lose all of our hair. Friends, the looks of our youth are all slipping away. (laughs) At 40, I started waking up really sore from sleeping. I'm a side sleeper, and sometimes I, I kind of corkscrew a little bit too much, and I get a little too much torque on the back, and I am like hurting when I get up. And I'm, again, running to the old man candy, looking for some ibuprofen. But I'm, I'm just sleeping. Like, life has jokes. Meanwhile, my, my middle son, Abel, sleeps like a contortionist. I don't think there's any way that he's still alive. Half off the bed, he wakes up like, how are you, buddy? I feel great. Best day ever. I don't want to do that. The body breaks. The body changes. Things change. Seasons change. This is life. This is what happens. They are inevitable. They're they're things that come no matter how much you dislike them. This is what happens. Solomon says, put away the, the, the vexation and embrace the change. Now, this isn't a call to put yourself out to pasture the first time you get a gray hair. I'm just old now. No, it's just the anxiety that the enemy places in your heart. We, we have to understand, why, why do I say these are faith issues? These are parts of the fall. We break and we die. God spoke into that stuff though. Right? So we need to understand that the enemy is gonna try and pour anxiety into our lives that we have to pour faith back in to see the beauty of the eternal story when those things begin to kind of suffocate us. Do not let a wrinkle or a gray hair or some other age thing begin to whisper into your ear, your life is over. I hope you did everything you wanted. Everything's bad from here on out. Rejoice in the light. The gifts of God, what is beautiful. Rejoice in your youth. Have fun. Live well. Just don't lose your mind. Remove vexation in your heart. Again, this is not a recommendation. This is a call to action. And then last, we see a call to remember in the final eight verses of the text, remember your creator. Remember God the Father. This remember is again a call to action right now. This second, remember him. You're like, okay, I'm trying. You're like, he, he's digging in deep here. When he says remember, he's actually telling you to turn to God. Don't delay, do it now. Turn your heart to him. If you haven't turned your life over to him, turn your sin over to him, your hopes over to him, your anxieties, your dreams, turn it all over to him. Give it to him. Give him all that you have and all that you want and all that you are now. Ah, tomorrow, now. This is what he's saying. Then the following verses are that long heavy, like it, it's, it's, it's one of the world's longest run-on sentences, which is a poem about death. You're like, oh, I'm not sure what all of it means, but I think it's supposed to be sad. You're correct. It, it is all about the curse of sin and death. One theologian called this a relentless move or march towards death in hopes that you will see the reality of it clearly so that you will turn to God, so that you'll remember him. The call to remember the creator even in your youth, again, is a call to trust God. 
Walk with him, obey him. If you have kids, teach them uh, about him. Model your life after the way that God says to do it. This is a call to remember to the creator and also the, the, the biblical narrative that we see. Creation, right, in Genesis was perfect until creation started sinning and doing what? Forgetting. Forgetting God. What's the antithesis of forgetting? Remember, the first Adam decided that living without God was better. He trusted himself over God, and Solomon is just roaring at the end of this book, don't do it. I tried it, and it didn't work for me, and I guarantee it will not work for you. Joy isn't found in forgetting or running from God. And hear me, it's not found by putting him off either. And this is not just a statement about salvation. This is a statement about our hopes and dreams and everything else that comes with it. You will not secure more joy by putting him off. See, that's what the enemy whispers into our ears. Just a little more fun. Just a little more margin. Just a little more life. Just a little bit more time. That's not the way it works. If you're waiting for a better time or a better season or a slower time or when you have less to do or less that you desire or less that you want, John, uh, writer Johnny Hunt says you can't afford to put off turning to God. He says you will regret it because life is not, if your life is not centered on God, it'll cause you to make countless stupid decisions. I kind of like his style. He goes on to say, He's going to say it quickly, but he's serious. If you're going to go, hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to run. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to, my own wisdom, my own thoughts. My, I'm, I'm, I'll turn to God when I got time, but I'm just going to do me. He goes, hey, you may marry an idiot. You may choose the wrong friends. You may choose the wrong job. You, there's countless decisions that you can make out of the gauge of you, and it could take 30 years to the rest of your life to try and undo that. You can't afford to. I know that may seem overly pragmatic or forced, but I don't think he's lying. The logic is waiting until it's convenient is not a smart play. Why would you multiply sin? What the Bible would call foolishness and chasing the wind when the joy of the Lord is available to you now. Why would you do that? Further, Solomon gives a, a pretty frank and dark warning about playing with fire. And I'll just like, like time out and step to the side. I, I think that in the attempt of fleeing from legalism and, and fleeing from maybe some fire and brimstone that maybe some of us saw when we were young, we almost pad every word of the Bible as if it doesn't say hard things. This is a hard thing. And it's gonna lay it there and I won't apologize to you for it. So you just gotta understand what's going on here. Why wait until the end? What if you misjudge things and miss your chance? This, these are the words that, that struck me. I, I feel like we can kind of get the urging. It's, it's hard to wrap full words around what he's saying. He's going, if you keep waiting to take pleasure in God, just a little more and a little more time and a couple more things, you may mess around too long and he'll never take pleasure in you because you never turn to him and you die. Like, I don't like the way it sounds. I don't know what to tell you. I didn't write all of it. There's this propensity to not only make foolish mistakes, but we can think we have more time, and here's the reality. You and I don't know what we have. 
There's a lot of metaphorical language that comes into the end, but Solomon says, what if you die first? And he says things like, what if the stars are darkened? Remember when he talked about the light before? He's actually talking about the light. He's trying to go in, okay, what, what happens if you burn both uh, ends of the candle for too long? And you think, I'll slow down when it's more convenient. And then you had no idea that your eyes were going to give out. And by the time you wanted to slow down, you can't even see anymore. Oh, that's a far-fetched thing, okay? He adds after that, what if your mind slips? Just wait. And, and then what if all of a sudden the cognition that we all think, hope, is not going to leave us. It just begins to, to slip. And when you slow down, you, you don't even have the mental faculties anymore. When he goes, and he begins to talk about pain. What, what if you, well, I'll just, I'll do it later. And then all of a sudden something happens. You get a wreck or just deep pain comes. And then all of a sudden you, you can't do other things or enjoy other things because all of a sudden there's this pain that overshadows all things. There's a lot of references over and over, but the point that he's making is here. Please stop assuming that you have countless days. Friend, understand you and I are all dying. Stop playing with fire, thinking that it's gonna make your life better. Turn now to God and see that he's actually what you needed the whole time. Again, this is what I was trying to point to. We, I, I don't know, I remember many years of my younger times, like I'll get that fixed later and I'll deal with that later and I'll do that later, but I gotta do this first and I still wanna have this fun. I wanna do this other thing. There's this idea that, that I, I wanna hold out to have fun as long as I can and that is the voice of the enemy whispering into your ear. That's not what you need. What you need is in Jesus. The beautiful news is Jesus is available to you. Come and see he's what you need. Solomon is showing us God is not a barrier to the good life. He's a source of it. Without him, you will chase the wind. And I imagine most of us in our latter days, if we're not caught off by surprise, we will realize and have to wrestle with the fact all I did with my time, all I did was chase wind. Then he reminds us in verse 7, all roads lead back to God in one regard. This is not everyone gets saved. This is reminding us that we came from the dust and we go back to the dust. It's a reminder that our spirits were given by God the Father and when our earthly bodies give out, they go back to him for judgment. This means the atheist and the Buddhist, and the agnostic and the Muslim and the Baptist, and the Catholic, and the Redemption's Hill church member, and everything else that you can possibly think of, all of us will go see God again and stand before the Holy Creator. If you remember Romans, we'll stand before the righteous judge who won't take a bribe and he does not forget. Solomon says, in that day, we will see with fresh eyes that all that we chased, all that we sought worth in, all that we sought pleasure in outside of God passes away, but God doesn't and we'll see him one day and every knee will bow in worship or in the wrath that comes from judgment of paying for your own sin. Judgment comes for all and every knee will bow. So his message is don't wait and don't delay. Don't invest in wind chasing anymore. Instead, turn to God 
to see that he's good and kind and loving and merciful. He's not trying to take your life from you. He lavishes good gifts on his children. He's even telling you, will you please slow down to see the cool stuff that I put in front of you? I love you and I made this and it's amazing. I really think you'd like it. He loves his children. And when you turn to God, aging and death lose their sting. Does that mean that we're just like, nothing bothers us? No, you're going to cry when when people die and things are going to hurt. But the reality is it doesn't have to control you or destroy you. Yes, it hurts. It doesn't own you though. Why? There's a... There's eternity. Like, remember that, that spectrum of most of our days ahead? If we, if we back up, you always have a whole lot more ahead. How do you turn to God and remember God? But if that's the call, two rejoices, one remove and one remember. The first step is through salvation. Acknowledging that you need the work of Jesus to be able to turn to God. You need freed from your sin. You need forgiveness for your sins. And, and you can't do it on your own. Christ has paid the penalty for your sins. So this is saying to God, I want to follow your son. Thank you for what you've given. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I want to I turn from you or I want to turn to you and, and trust you and put my hope in you. If you've never done that, that's the door. That's the gate. That's the way in. And in Solomon's words, if you haven't done that, why would you wait any longer? See, the invitation is come and pray. Come and see, come and taste that he is good. My hope is that if you haven't done that, you would. That at the end of service or now that you pray, God, I don't even know what all of this means to save me. I want to put my trust in Jesus and follow him. And I'll come pray with you afterwards if you want. But the message is the same. Please don't wait. Please don't wait. Past that, if you're a believer, we need to wrestle with the other elements of the text. Am I rejoicing right now? Does my heart have time for all, margin for all? When's the last time that just something has brought me great joy? Does my hope in God allow me to slow down enough to, why, why do you think the Bible talks a lot about food? Because right? if you're just like, like cramming food in, you can't even taste it. He's like, I slow down, taste is good. Like if you don't even have enough time to slow down to enjoy, this text is trying to point that out to you. Am I finding joy in the gifts of God now or not? If the answer is no, then hey, there's more turning that needs to happen. This is repentance. Some more remembering. Your play today may be to humble yourself in front of your father and just have an honest talk. Hey, Father, I'm a little bit lost. I don't rejoice anymore. I'm not really sure I know how right now. Um... The whole like first love and the things that brought me joy, like I seem so far away. I need your help. Will you help me? Help straighten out my heart. Give me new eyes to see what you've placed in front of me. Give me a new heart to receive what you've given. Will you soften what is so clearly hardened? Will you renew me? This is this is what it looks like to to go and, and do business with the, the Lord. He's a good father, but you gotta you gotta come, you gotta talk. Hey, will you help me? The other side is if aging or age or the loss of seasons is pressed on you. Right, that was the wrinkles, gray hair, energy, any of that. The call for you as well is to turn to the Lord, repent. Ask for help. Ask for a renewed perspective into eternity. There's a whole lot more coming. Ask for eyes to see the beauty of new seasons instead of a heart that's just terrified of them.
Friends, this is what faith looks like, right? If we, if we, if we kind of get into the nitty and, and gritty, it's about fighting to follow Jesus. And we kind of get off the path going like, man, I, I kind of got out into the weeds a little bit. Will you help me? We help me look at things in light of, of faith. Right now, I've been looking at things in light of, of worry and earthly desire and other stuff, and I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how to get out. We, Father, help me. As cheesy as it sounds, Solomon winding down things in the book is declaring to us, it's only in having the son that you will enjoy the things under the sun. And that's what he wants to tell you. It is in Christ and Christ alone. You won't find it without him. With him. And remembering the Father, you can enjoy and live well and walk well, and you can even age well. There's a the hard thing, and you can die well. Why can you do that? Because it's not the end of your story. So look at your creator. Behold Jesus, the Savior. Do not let wind uh, chasing eclipse the beauty of salvation. It's just going to slip through your fingers. But Jesus is here, and he's available now. You have an eternal hope in Christ so the hope for us, maybe, maybe we rejoice well. Maybe slow down. Maybe rejoice in the things that the Lord has put around us. Maybe, maybe we confess to our brothers and sisters, man, I haven't rejoiced at all, and I've been angry, and I've been tired, and like frustrated. It's a hard season. I don't even know how. Confess. Ask them to pray with you. Cast aside fear and see the beauty of what the Lord has done. We'll take communion today, man. You guys can come back up. This is a part of that remembering and returning. You're coming to the table once again, receiving what the Lord has given through Christ. Here I am once again, taking your body and your blood. It's only through what you've done. It's only through your blood that I am forgiven. Let me live in light of what you've done. That's, that's why the text says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're proclaiming to our hearts and each other over and over and over as a way of remembering that what we need is in Jesus. It says, for I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way. Also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The call from Solomon has a lot of parallels to the call of coming to the table. Come and see what God has done. Come and see what he offers for you. You don't have to get it figured out. You don't have to have fixed yourself. He says, hey, come, come to the table. Come and take what I have done. Friends, I pray that our hearts would learn to rejoice in a world that that's not super popular in. And that we'd be tethered while we do it, that we would fight the anxiety in our heart, and that we would turn to God. This is our hope. This is our prayer. Pray that you stand with me. Let's, let's, let's worship in light of this. We'll give a little margin in the backside. If there's some prayer that needs to happen from you, man, I, I'd encourage you not to maybe think about lunch yet. Begin to think about your heart, your rejoicing, the things that you maybe need to contend for, where you've been chasing wind. Ask the Lord to kind of enter into that with you and see that he's good. We stand with me? Father, I pray that you help us. If we were to speak honestly, we would say no one here has perfected this. We're quick to forget rejoicing. We're quick to get bitter and frustrated and tired. We're 
We're quick to embrace vexation and call it wisdom. We're just really prone to forget you. Will you help us? Spirit, come speak to the, the corners of our heart. We draw us to see the sun. We thank you that you're patient. We thank you even in long seasons of chasing wind that you are there waiting to receive us back. You're kind and you're good. Would you build up your people? Lord, I pray that you would feed our souls at the table. You would encourage our hearts that you've done something good. I pray for those who aren't maybe seeing it right now, who never have, that they would see that Jesus, you are powerful and good and kind and not burdensome and you're welcoming. Would you give us rest? Would you give us encouragement? For those whose hearts are hard, Lord, I pray that you would soften them. Chip away at what is hardened. Encourage us in the reality that you can soften things quickly. Thank you for your patience and kindness. Lord, build your people, guide your people. Teach us to balance in wisdom, rejoicing well while seeing the Father and seeing you. We love you. Be glorified in our words and our worship. Amen.